don't know if the kids are all right. A lot of the kids we're going to talk about this week <laughs> are far from all right. It's all about the evil children. And we've got a top six, top five to get into this week on the Fright Club podcast. Welcome. I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And we are from MadWolf.com. And first off, we want to say a big thank you. Great time last week with senior filmmaker correspondent Jason Tostevin. We counted down all kinds of movies. We started with our top five. He had a top six. We talked about other movies that we were looking forward to, and it turned into a great uh, great discussion, really. Yeah. With the year half over, we wanted to hit the best so far of the year, and um, I think we certainly did that. There are a lot of witch haters out there. A lot, a lot of witch haters. <laughs> there but, are. But you know what? Even they, uh, I think, were happy to find a couple of suggestions that maybe they hadn't seen that they believed they would like better than The Witch. Yeah, and a few people mentioned The Neon Demon, uh, which is getting a lot of buzz right now. It's it's not as polarizing as The Witch, but it is polarizing, especially uh, with us, because we didn't care for it. Yeah, which is a little funny. Uh, I think a couple of people thought maybe we had accidentally left it off our list. We had not. Um, and we love Nicholas Windingreff and the director. We love him. We love Drive. We love Bronson. And we're two of the few people who really like Only God, Only God Forgives. Forgives. Yeah. And so this is his first full-on horror film. And it's, um, uh, you know what, for it, it has a lot of the same trademarks of his other material, the kind of thing that usually turns people off. But for me, it's not the problem. It's not that it's too slow, that it's too languid. It, the problem is that it is derivative to me. It is very much... Uh, borrowed material, and that's nothing you could ever say about anything else he's ever done. Yeah, it has that visual flair, the visual shocks, but to me, yeah, that's a good word, derivative. I I also uh, threw in there, to me, mundane. I I found a little mundane. Uh, Derivative is good, but, you know, it has its its lovers, and good for you. Uh, Glad you enjoyed it. We really didn't, so yeah, we didn't uh, forget it. We just didn't really appreciate (laughs) it that much, but thank you for all the uh, feedback. Uh, With that, let's get into our evil children. First off, the ground rules, and we we kind of fought this back and forth amongst ourselves because I actually somehow swayed you. On this, did. Uh, I don't know what happened. Caught well, you in funny. a weak so, moment, right? I put I put this film on the list originally, but I think I was reluctant to do it for a lot of the reasons that you articulated specifically. So you are not going to find The Exorcist on this list because right. why? Well, originally it was, and I said as much as I love that movie, and I we've know that you about, do. We've talked about it many times. I'm not dissing the movie whatsoever, but for me, we're talking about evil children. I said two things. It was a temporary condition. And it wasn't her fault. And it really, it wasn't her. Right. Right. So the other children on this list, it's them. They're evil. There is something seriously wrong with these children, with her. I mean, it wasn't her, and it wasn't her fault, and it was temporary, even though she's the scariest of all of right. them. <laughs> so, if, you know, if you want to argue the other way, totally understand that, because that's where Hope was at the beginning. But uh, I yeah, kinda, I uh, Yeah, I, when I originally put it on there, I thought kind of the same thing. I thought, ah, this doesn't go here. And then I just thought... But she's scary. I'm afraid of her. So, but yeah, George, talk me out of it. <laughs> and I guess it goes without saying we don't count um, inanimate dolls like Chucky from uh, from. Charles no, there actually have to be children. They yeah. have to actually be children to be on this list. Which means we also couldn't count the scary doll from The Simpsons, which I love. <laughs> I'm going to kill you, Homer Simpson. <laughs> evil crusty. You had it set to evil. That's the problem. Uh, I love that so much. No, but we've got six good ones. It is fuzzy math, but uh, for a darn good reason, because these are this is quality stuff here. All killer, no filler. And uh, we'll start at number six from 2008. The original, the foreign version, let the right one in. 
So a lot of times when we have included this movie on, on the list, we've also included its American remake, uh, Let Me In, um, which we're also very high on. But when looking at this, there's a good reason why we only went with this one. Yeah, so between the two, um, Lena Lee Anderson is the uh, the girl who plays Ellie in the original. She's a vampire. She's a child vampire. And, and Chloe Moretz plays... Uh, the same character in the remake and and in the Chloe Moretz version I think what Matt Reeves does is casts her more as a child she's more childlike even in the poster she's kind of in a fetal position and 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 it works really well for that film um in this one as much as you have empathy for her there's a weird androgyny about her which is necessary given the source material and she's she's more savage yes she she looks more scary um, as you said, uh, with Chloe Moretz, there's nothing androgynous about her. Uh, or she's, scary looking. Or scary. She looks, especially in this film, which was, which was you know, made a few years ago when she was a baby. She just looks like a baby. Yeah. Uh, she did a great job. Yes. But it's a totally different uh, perspective on it. And that's why we're not including the, the let me in in this list. Now, actually, as great as that uh, Lena Lee Anderson uh, was, and she was chosen mainly for her androgynous look at the mm-hmm, time because mm-hmm. she really, really did. Uh, but actually, she was portrayed by uh, two other actresses as well. Uh, her voice was overdubbed by uh, an actress named Elif Seelan, if mm-hmm. I pronounce that mm-hmm. right, to get a more menacing sounding mm-hmm. voice. You know, as a as a young child, she probably had a you know yeah, a young child child's voice. voice. And then the elderly uh, Eli was portrayed by Suzanne Rubin. But uh, but mainly, it's Lena Lee Anderson who brings that realization of the character well the thing is to the so, screen, and so she's it's great. not it's not just about a single performance it's about the character itself right. and, and those those common that combined set of elements makes for a and, i mean it was it was just a really well crafted uh character and it makes she's she's vulnerable and um very sympathetic and at the same time scary and dangerous oh yes um and of course, if you're not familiar, she's a child vampire, mm-hmm. and uh, she has an an older man caretaker that mm-hmm. kills for her and uh, is seen around the town as, I guess, her father. Right. People are, it's a little mystery. Uh, and then she strikes up a friendship with this uh, young boy. And uh, that's the other aspect of the movie that works so well. It's a vampire movie. Yes, there's blood. Yes, she's killing. But there's this friendship and yeah. this vulnerability right. between both of the characters. And uh, and they're both so good. And it makes it adds another layer it to does. the story. It does. Yeah, it does. And it's funny when we first meet Oscar with his little blonde Prince Valiant haircut, you know, <laughs> he's he's stabbing a tree and he's pretending to kill these bullies in his classroom, which is and then she's just sitting there like, you know, barefoot in the snow on some monkey bars you know, on the playground watching him do this. And it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's subtle the way the film works, but she's basically looking for someone who can take care of her now since Mm -hmm. her caretaker is not immortal as she is. And uh, so somebody who can be her friend, but somebody who she thinks maybe can go along with what's going to have to happen. And then, but it turns, it's a very tender friendship. And then she actually becomes his protector Oh, it's, yes. it's lovely and bloody in equal measure. Yeah, of course, uh, if you're going to have tr- trouble with bullies, you know, to have a friend that's a vampire, that com- oh, yeah. comes in handy. It does. And it comes in handy for Oscar. But as he slowly realizes what she is, but yet is willing yeah. is willing to go along with it, as she was counting on, mm-hmm. uh, is, it really is. It's tender. It is. And it, it, it uh, hits on those notes about, you know, the, the, 
the pain of the teenage years yeah. and struggling to find your place and your identity. Mm-hmm. And it's great because it's one of those movies that has red blood against white snow, yeah. which always pops. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so uh, she is definitely an evil child, but tender with her friend. Yeah, but I mean, she's not the only. So Kristen Dunst, Kirsten Dunst also, of course, played a child vampire, Interview the Vampire, which yeah, is not a great, great movie. It's no. not a great movie, but she's very good in it. And, and Chloe Moretz as well. I mean, the the sort of the the vulnerable child vampire is an interesting concept that's been mined a lot over the years. But yeah. I would say the best version is Let the Right One In. And that's at number six. And for number five, we're going way back, way back. Uh, 1956 is the year for the movie version of the play The Bad Seed. Did you have anything... I don't care how small it was. Did you have anything to do with the way Claude got drowned? What makes you ask that, Mother? Now look me in the eye and tell me the truth, because I must know. No, Mother, I didn't. You're not going back to the Fern School next year. They don't want you anymore. Okay. I'm going to call Miss Fern and have her come over here. You think I lied to her? You did lie to her. But not to you, Mother, not to you. So this is the first one. This is it. This is Patient X right here, The Bad Seat, 1956, <laughs> Patty McCormick. And, you know... Who was I, Oscar nominated for this. She was Oscar nominated for this. In fact, a bunch of the performers got Oscar nominations. It was so, I think, so shocking at the time. And, you know, it's not it's not filmed like a horror movie. And, and so a lot of what they get away with feels very subversive when you realize that this was 1956. And, and by today's standards... Especially if you only like watch the trailer or something. If you don't watch the performance from beginning to end, it feels incredibly over the top. It does, yeah. But but if you watch the entire film, it is surprising the subtlety and the and, and the nuance among the the among like the chemistry among the performers is really great. Patty McCormick is is the the bad seed, right? She basically starts off the film. Somebody in her class has been drowned and she's got his spelling bee pin. And so the mom is like, Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. And so, you know, it comes. Wait, wait, and the thing is, there's a there's the, the creepy apartment super and he's creepy and he figures her out first. And and uh, and, and the thing that I love the most, it all starts to happen because because the dad is away like for four weeks at a conference. And then it's, so it's like the minute the men folk leave, things just fall about the place, you know. Um, but in a way, it's sort of it's sort of appealing because. She just asserts her dominance. And is the, you know, there's a hole for Alpha, and she just takes it. Yeah. And one of the reasons they, the uh, cast works so well is most of them came directly from the stage. Yeah. Uh, they came from that cast. In fact, Betty Davis wanted, wanted the mother's role, but uh, the director decided to go with Nancy Kelly, who had originated the role on stage. And the funny thing is, this was it for Nancy Kelly as far as movies. She, crazy. she only did TV after this. She was wow. nominated for an Oscar and only did, she concentrated on TV projects. After this, but uh, so they went with most of the stage cast, and the the play had won the Tony uh, in 1955. But um, yeah, it's it's one of those. That's a good point because when you just watch the trailer, you do especially um, the uh, the girl uh, Patty McCormick. Yeah. You're like, wow, she's way yeah. way over the top. But not when you watch the entire film. And uh, spoiler alert: if you haven't seen the movie, I'm gonna talk about the ending here because the original ending is not the one that made it on film. The original uh, ending had Rhoda surviving and her mother dying. Mm. But at the time, the MPAA, the Motion Picture Code, said that crime shall never be presented in such a way as to throw sympathy with the crime and against law and order. Wow. So then they changed it to having 
the mom survived and Rhoda getting struck by lightning, which yeah. was kind of okay. Yeah, it was kind of lame. Um, so, all right, you, know, you can funny, take off though, the earmuffs now. Right. It's funny, though, that you bring that up because it's one of the reasons why why certain films stand out the way they do because of how incredibly restrictive the code was at yeah. the time. If you look at a movie like Night of the Hunter and you just think, wow, but but they had to work so much harder to convey certain things. And this movie, and, and it's such a weird movie because, and it, you know, part of it, of course, is because it was originally a stage play, but there was a curtain call at the end of the film. <laughs> and then there's an epilogue on screen that just says, you know, that, that you basically, that you should be shocked by what you just saw, which I wonder now if that is because of the MPAA code, if they did that specifically because, you know, you're not supposed to feel sorry for the kid. I yeah. don't know. I mean, it could be. But it's a fascinating movie. Yeah, it is. It's like, it's kind of like those, uh, a lot of the old 50s movies where, you could only show a kiss. A kiss, a kiss couldn't last more than what two seconds, yeah, right. two or three seconds. So a lot of directors would have multiple, multiple kisses of two seconds you know, to get <laughs> to get around that. What they had to do, but uh, yeah, that's uh, and that's been since then the premise, if not outright remakes. We've seen the premise again and again. Oh, many, many times. And one of the and it's not a horror film at all, but The Good Son, right, with Elijah Wood and Macaulay and Culkin. Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. That's probably the most famous since then. But you know, some there's one called Bereavement. Where it's like, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's that's an interesting premise. It's not really that well executed, but there are things about it I like. But, you know, and the, just where you wonder, is it is it something wrong with the kid? Is that, you know, so a movie like The Innocents, which, of course, I love. Yeah. Uh, Good Night, Mommy, where you're just the whole time. Is there something wrong with these kids or is it, you know, mm-hmm. it's, and, and, and another one, The Other from 1972. It, it's, it's the same thing where the whole sort of tension of the film is whether or not there's something evil about these seemingly cherubic children. Right, exactly. So number five on our evil children list, the bad seed from 56. We're going to jump ahead to 2006, and it's ills or them. In the still of the night, we hear things. We see things. We imagine things that aren't always there. But tonight... Your imagination isn't playing tricks. And neither are they. Them. Now this one, based on a quote-unquote true story, apparently it involved an Austrian couple that was murdered by three teenagers in their vacation home in Romania, which actually brings another point that we should uh, talk about. We talked about the rules at the top, but there's a reason. We, we kind of had an age limit for these evil children. Right. Yes, because so, and, and also, I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of movies about evil children, and I think it's because it really taps a nerve, right? Depending on the type of film it winds up being, I mean, we have fears about, about, um, our children turning on us or really our children leaving us to die or I mean, there's so many things. And so I kind of what I kind of did was group them. Right. So we've got we've got, for example, in this one, the roving gang of toughs. That's another common thread. And my favorite in this particular type of genre is Eden Lake. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's terrifying. It's horrifying. But. The roving gang of toughs are all teens. They're yeah, all they're high little, school kids. A little too old. Right. And and if you start letting teens into it, well, then, then you've got high school horror. And then you've got, I mean, all manner of things. We really wanted to keep it with children. And while there are a couple of teens in the group of, of youngsters who terrorize this couple in the movie Them, there are also some very small children. Yeah. And that's yeah. what makes it the most effective is this idea of just bored sadism 
playful, bored sadism that would be as enticing to like a seven-year-old as it might be to like a 15-year-old. Right. And that's the reason why we didn't include a movie, say, like The Strangers, which even though you didn't see those kids' faces, you get the impression there. I was thinking they're 17, high school, you know, 18, something like that, but a, a little too old. So that's, yeah. so that's why we uh, concentrated on the younger kids. And this one, yeah, especially with what they do yeah. uh, to these people, yeah. to think that you can get kids that young involved. That makes it extra scary. Well, and, and, I mean, and then this particular brand, right, of child horror, the, the two things that it play, plays on, one is it's this idea that if there are enough of them, if you're outnumbered, yeah. right, and a child's logic is very different from an adult's logic, and we all can remember sort of the savagery of childhood, and so I think it plays on that. And then the other thing it plays on is that what are you going to do? Like, there's a scene in this film where Clementine has an opportunity to defend herself, right, against a seven-year-old. So she doesn't, right? I mean, that, and I think that a lot of the films that, that, that remind me of this or that sort of, I, you know, I, I, I connect with this film, that is a huge part of the tension that they generate is the idea that, what would you do? What are you right. going to do? Kill a child? You're right. Exactly. In fact, one of the movies that, you know, was on the long list at the beginning is, is it called Who Can Kill a Child? That's what it's called. And it had, it's a Spanish language film and it has an American language remake called Come Out and Play, which I think is a much better title. And it's about vacationing couple on an island. And when they get there, they realize there are no adults. Where are all the adults? And all the kids are very playful at first, but all of the children are murderers. They never tell you why. They never tell you what happened. It's not like it's something in the water. But whatever happened to the adults happened before they got there. And now these people, you know, and it's and that's exactly what it does. I mean, it you know, it's you are outnumbered. And some of them are like three and four year olds. Um, it's it's just a fascinating idea. But, you know, that's great. Uh, um, sometimes, as Jason said last week, you don't have to answer questions. No. You don't have to answer every Absolutely. question. In fact, it's we, better if you don't. We don't always have to know the origin story of this maniac, and we don't, all, we don't have to know if precisely why these kids are by themselves and what happened. It can no. be scarier yeah. that way, because then you have to fill in the blanks by yourself. Yeah. And uh, let's not forget, in this genre, uh, the classic, children shouldn't play with dead things. <laughs> <laughs> You know what, though? There are some really huge sort of iconic films in this area, like Children of the Damned, children, right? Children of the Corn. Children of the Corn. Malachi. Yeah, exactly. That, that, or excuse me, Village of the Damned. Village children of the, of the Corn. Damned. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant to say. Yeah. Um, yeah, Children of the Corn. But they're not, I mean, to me, they're just, they are fun and, yeah. and they're very, very popular, but they're, but not, they're not as good. As, yeah, they're not they're as good. They're not as good, no. And one of the things I love about this movie, them, uh, sort of in the uh, Blair Witch viral marketing, as a promotional gimmick, the official website for the film, Them, when it came out, it ran a mock news interview where a woman who was supposed to be Clementine's sister pleaded for the safe return of her missing sister mm. and Lucas. Nice. Nice. I like that. So, uh, yeah, it's um, it's chilling. It's, it is. It's, it's chilling. With, you know, uh, I mean, it's 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 such a great movie. It's such a well-crafted film because it's just an, like an 80-minute cat and mouse. Yeah. And, you know, it's 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 spare. It's it's tight. And you yeah, are, all the tunnels of that house, yeah. and yeah, the you're just right on the edge of your seat. You know, there's no exposition; they don't drag anything out. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not trying to get you into some backstory. I mean, it's just bam, there you go. And I love that about it. Um, I do. I love that about it. I want to throw out one other film in this particular area, though, of of kids in a, in mass turning on you. And it was just last year. It's called Cooties. <laughs> you know, and and uh, and it's fun, and it's. And it's like it's it's and it's set in a school, an elementary school. And I got to feel like I kind of almost feel like former teachers must have written it. And it's just their fantasy of just finally just kicking the shit out of the kids in their school. Well, and, you know, that just shows you how smart 
uh, we were as kids because when I was a kid, we wrote on our shoes P-A-A-C, which was protection against all cooties. <laughs> so that's a true story, by the way. I know. And that's why I'm still alive today. <laughs> so, <laughs> so them, ills, number four on our fuzzy mat list of evil children, moving us up to number three from 1979. Love those 70s. And this is a reason why it's David Cronenberg's The Brood. Never before have you faced anything so strange and sinister, so bizarre and unnerving. Until now. You can run. You can hide and hope they won't find you. But you won't escape. Once unleashed, the brood will destroy anyone who gets in their way. David Cronenberg's ultimate experience in inner terror. Starring Oliver Reed and Samantha Egar. The Brood. They're waiting for you. So in case you're listening, Bridget from the Columbus Horror Society. This one's for you. Starring Oliver Reed. Reed, A sultry Oliver Reed. (laughs) Um, And he's, uh, he's a doctor in plasmotics. And so what he does is... I don't want to be in a world where Oliver Reed has a medical degree. <laughs> yes, doctor. What do you prescribe? I'm, I'm drunk right now. <laughs> he always has that look on his face. Like, is he about to do something either crazy or perverse? Right. Doesn't he always? Yeah. He always yeah, does. Yeah, there's just a sultry, nasty weirdness about him that <laughs> anyway. apparently appeals to some people. <laughs> some people. I actually love Oliver Reed in movies, especially horror movies. I really do because there's something... Um, completely unpredictable about him, which I love. And you know, the funny thing about this movie, he and uh, Samantha Egger, who is his co-star, they grew up together. I did not know that. In the same little neighborhood in London. They grew up together, yeah. So he's a doctor in plasmotics, which is a new science, and it helps you to turn your rage into physical manifestations. And I remember thinking right from the beginning, why does anyone want this to happen? Why don't you just, I mean, because some of them, they get these huge giant pustules. And I think, is that really better than a a tumor? You know, like, is that really better than a, you know, an ulcer? I don't think it is. But for Samantha Egger's character, because most of her rage is directed at her husband, her ex-husband, they turn into these babies that grow on the outside rather than the inside, and they look like her actual daughter, except mutant freak violent versions in little puffy coats. And right. it's it's the most brilliant sort of subconscious examination. I mean, at the time, David Cronenberg was going through an ugly divorce, and so you can see where that was really clearly fed clearly. a lot of what was going on here. But this this image of... It, you know, because it's in Canada and it's the winter. And so they have these puffy coats with these big hoods on, which is such an innocent um, image. And then when you see their faces and you see how they behave, I mean, it's just such a brilliant idea. Yeah. And uh, he has said, well, it's also Cronenberg all over the place because it has body horror. Right. You use that. The king. He's the king of body horror. That inner rage that, that comes out, as you said, it manifests itself through these body, what would be a tumor or some sort of weird postule. Like but it's you said. all on the outside. But it's all on the outside, yeah. yeah. And that's Cronenberg all the way. And um, your buddy Joe Dante, mm-hmm. uh, when he was up and coming, he actually cut the American trailer for this movie. Nice. Before he got going. But uh, yeah, it has all the earmarks of Cronenberg. And it's kind of a kind of a slow build, I guess, for getting to the point where the kids are the, are, are the evil here. Yeah. Yeah, you. I mean, you really for for the longest time you think that it's Doctor Hal who's the problem, and and rightly so. 
And uh, and um, and then Samantha Eggers character is a bit deranged. But again, you sort of the the n- narrative makes you believe that that's that's the the problem is that she's in the wrong hands with this doctor. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, uh, yeah, you see what's going on. And it's, well, yeah, she has you do that. Uh, you have that baby licking scene. Oh, well, you, but you already know. I mean, I mean, that that is that is the creme de la creme in this film. <laughs> Absolutely. The baby licking scene. And she's um, really not in it that much. No, she's and, but really she's not. great. She's an, an amazing presence because she's actually quite lovely. But she's got these giant, real wide set eyes, and she uses that to such a great sort of degree to to suggest. Yes, I once was a perfectly normal wife and mother, <laughs> and now I am batshit insane, and yeah. I've got these embryos hanging on the outside of me, and. They're going to kill somebody so soon. So I think it's, yeah, it's very obvious that Cronenberg uh, was working through some uh, divorce angst at the time in uh, in writing this movie. And in the climax, in the end of the movie, all the members of the brood uh, at the cabin, they uh, they used little girls from a grade school gymnastics club. Oh, okay, I could uh, see that. Nearby yeah. to play a lot of the kids. I could see that. Yeah, so uh, the Cronenbergs. The brood, which was part of our, it was like the category really was mutant children. And there's a lot. There's a lot of those. And, and uh, you know, as I mean, we love David Cronenberg. I love this movie. I love this movie. So it, it's for me, it's head and shoulders above the other options. But there's a, an Irish film called Citadel that we talked about in our Irish podcast. Mm-hmm. And it's clearly derivative. Uh, not derivative. That's the wrong word. But I mean, it clearly draws from the movie The Brood. And it also has these mutant children that are dangerous. And then, of course, there are some, you know, more famous ones. I think that you have to mention the It's Alive series, Larry Cohen's It's Alive series, which yeah. I like very much, even regardless of the incredible low budget and sort of lacking. It's definitely lacking in certain areas, but um, it's like it, I think, encapsulates a new parent's terror of like, what have I done? You know what I mean? Like, you've got this t- uh, better than anybody, anything else does. Like, in your sleepless nights and you think, this baby is going to kill me. Like, that, for me, It's Alive is is just the best ugly interpretation of that. Yeah, and that is number, what are we up to? Number three, Evil Children, It's the Brood. And moving us up to number two, very excited that we finally get to talk about this movie because it's a big one. Uh, that people remember from 1976, but we've never talked about it on any countdown, and it is The Omen. Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. I was at the hospital, Mr. Thorne, the night your son was born. I saw its mother. You saw my wife. Its mother. What is it you're trying to say? His mother was a This is not a human child. Make no mistake. Gregory Peck. Lee Remick, The Omen. Oh, it's all for you, Damien. Really, you just have to say the word Damien. It, it made yeah. the name Damien just synonymous with, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Damien, the little boy, was played by Harvey Stevens, and uh, who actually had a cameo in the remake of The Omen. A few years ago, oh yeah, he played uh, one of the tabloid reporters. Okay, he's out of acting. Mm. Uh, he's become a. I think he worked as a, a stockbroker or a real estate agent in London. That was a nice little odd, yeah. nice little nod. They gave him a, a part in the uh, in the update, but the Liv Shriver one. Yeah, exactly. But he uh, he got the part because uh, Richard Donner asked the kids trying out for the part, uh, and he originally was considering to ha- to cast it as a girl, mm. uh, but uh, he asked the little kids to come at him as if they were attacking their mother during the during the church wedding scene and i guess 
little Harvey Stevens went at him so hard, <laughs> kicked him in the groin. <laughs> and so he got the part. Uh, the only thing they had to do, they dyed his hair black because he right. was a blonde. He was a natural blonde. But uh, and I and he became quite the personification of the evil little kid. And, you know, that at the end, too, when he gives that little gives that little smile, yeah. Richard Donner got him to do that using the old reverse psychology on kids because he told him, don't you dare laugh. If you laugh, I won't be your friend. And so he, <laughs> what was he doing? He was smiling and laughing. And it's a great little way to end that movie because he is the if you don't know, he is the Antichrist, little Damien, and he gets uh, adopted by Gregory Peck and Lee Remick, and they're in politics. He's the ambassador to the something or other. And he's the president of the United States' best friend. Yes, yes. That's the important thing. Yeah, so they want to get him in a position of power, and he's eventually looked over by Mrs. Blaylock, who's awesome, Billy Whitelaw. She's so great. She is great, and she took that character and made it, changed the dialogue a little bit. They gave her some reign to create the cold, sinister character of Mrs. Blaylock. And when she comes out there with the forks in her head, it's <laughs> awesome. Love Mrs. Blaylock. But uh, yeah, so it's all about protecting uh, the uh, the Antichrist. Yeah. And she brings in dogs to do that. And the funny thing is, it's not that quote-unquote bloody of a movie, really. It's no. just that these accidents just keep happening to anyone that gets in the way of Damien. Right. Any, anything that's going to impede the plan. You know, the reason that the movie has never been on one of our lists is because I don't particularly care for it. I do. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I like a lot of things about it, right? But I think it is just so heavy and self-important and mirthless. And um, and, but it was a big one at my house because uh, we are super, super Catholic. And all of the movies, this, The Exorcist, all of the movies that deal with with that, with the religious angle. I mean, it's like it just it just struck a nerve in my family. So my older sister loved this movie. My my parents loved this movie. Um, and and but what it does come down to for me, clearly, there was no question I was going to be on the list because of all the things that it has going for it and going against. And I do love it's all for you, Damien, when she I love that part. That's Holly Palance. By I know. The way. Jack, Jack Palance Palance's is daughter. Daughter. I mean, yeah. Harvey Stevens is great. That's like that. I mean, that's what it comes down to. He is the perfect. I mean, I'm so glad he was the kid who was cast in in sequels and and in the remake. There's something more wily about the children. There's something more consciously. I know what's going on. You know what I mean? And he's so unselfconscious and he's such a sweet looking little boy. You know, he's evil, but the kid doesn't play it as evil. So he's not he's not like. I'm pretending to be sweet. He's just laughing. He's just adorable. Yeah. And at the same time, he's Satan's son. So his his presence is so unnerving in this movie. And just his image is just like of of tainted innocence is is perfect. That's the Omen, 1976, number two, Damien and little Harvey Stevens. So who could be one number one? Who could who it be? Who is scarier than Damien, George? Well, it's got to be Samara from The Ring in 2002. She is scary as shit. Have you heard about this videotape that kills you when you watch it? You start to play it, and it's like somebody's nightmare. And as soon as it's over, your phone rings. And what they say is, you will die in seven days. I watched the tape. Yeah, Samara from The Ring. And the actress that played her, Davi Chase, I think that's how you pronounce that, um, 
got a got this role after a big letdown when she lost the uh, Kristen Stewart role in Panic Room. Interesting. She was up for that, lost lost that role, but came back big with this in the same year. And yeah, she is scary. She is scary, and um and and the whole movie is great, and it's one of those really rare. Um, American remakes that for me is better than the original, better than the Japanese original Ringu. But it's a great concept. And um, uh, Gore Verbinski is one of his first uh, films as a director. And he's got a great cast, got Naomi Watts. You know, he's got a lot going for him. But, um, and we've talked about before, right? It's um, you watch a videotape and seven days later you're dead in this really horrifying way that sucks all the life out of your face. Um, but uh, we've talked about two things. One is that if the tape itself wasn't any good, the movie would have just imploded. And it is. What you see on the tape is very fascinating, very sort of bunyel, very weird, right? Yeah. And then the other thing is that uh, Samara is perfect. Yeah, she is. And there's that iconic scene, of course, where she's walking um, out when she's walking toward the camera uh, on the tape. Actually, they had the actress walk backwards toward the well. She's walking backwards when they filmed it, and then to get it to look weird like that, they just reversed the film. Now, see, I'd always read that that's a man. No, no, I'm not talking about the, the crawling. Okay. That's a man. Which, okay. But in the actual... In the TV um, in screen. The, in, yeah, in the TV screen. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, when she's crawling out of the TV, I yeah, think that's that is a man. man. Yeah, um, and so it's just all the things are, are put together. And, and, and also, you know, as a little girl with a little pudgy face and that she's so yeah. sweet. and she's, It won't stop. Yeah. And, and it's just so interesting. And then they'll replay a tape. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's a different take. It's not the same take. But it just shows you how, how Rachel, right, Naomi Watts' character, she's, she's got preconceived notions. And so her journalist, she's a bad mom and a bad journalist is what it comes down to. But she's already decided that there's nothing wrong with this little girl and that she's being, you know, you know, abused by this weird family. And so when she watches the tape, the film in the first place, she sees what she's saying is being sad and sympathetic. And then when she watches it again, she realizes, no, it's quite threatening. And there's, it's just a a tiny difference in the way the little girl delivers it, but it's enough to be really unsettling. And again, just like Damien, right? She's so just beautiful, childlike, just gorgeousness with those little chubby cheeks. She's the cutest little kid. And then when you, you accept the evil in her, and then you see how they pervert that with the, the image crawling out of the TV screen. Yeah. It's awesome. And, and there's that point where you think when, she, when uh, Rachel goes down in the well and finds the body and everything, and you think she's released her from her pain oh, yeah. and all that stuff, and then Rachel's little kid, no. Yeah. You let you her out? Yeah. You can't and help her. Because there is that, that um, ambiguousness of, is, was she just abused and that? No, she's no, she's, she's evil. Yeah, Brian Cox was right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, there, I found out, this is interesting, There's a there was a whole subplot that was cut uh, from the original or from the final version in the, in the test screenings. They had this whole other subplot with a murderer played by Chris Cooper. Weird. Chris Cooper was in, who's a great actor. Yeah. And they had this whole backstory about a murderer approaching Rachel and asked her to help clear his name, blah, blah, blah. And that was all cut. And I haven't seen those scenes, but I'm guessing probably for the for the better. Yeah, I would think so, too, because I don't think the film needs to be any longer than it is. Yeah. And I loved it. I mean, it's it's a windy enough road to get you where you're going that I don't think you needed a subplot as well. Yeah, the pacing is fine. And mm-hmm. where you it's because it's a mystery for a while, you know, and uh, where she's figuring out the, the source of this tape. And you're right about the tape. I love the tape. Yeah, just love I know the you tape. do. Yeah, I know it's, you do. Uh, yeah, and uh, and that yeah, but when you finally 
get to the realization that it's, yeah, it's not something that was brought upon her because of her treatment. She's she's just evil. She's just wrong. Yeah. And one of the things I like about the film, too, is that so there's another child, and he's played by David Dorfman, whom I adore. And he's so great in this movie. And part of it is because he's so very serious, he doesn't quite seem right, you know? He doesn't, yeah. Right? And 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 so his innocence is because he does have a bad mom. Um he's he's more adult than he should be because he's basically taking care of himself and his yeah. scatterbrained journalist mother. And there's something unsettling about that as well. And you just want to just give him a big cuddle, you know. <laughs> um, and, and I just like the the way the two child characters kind of balance each other out because they're both similar in certain ways. Yeah. Yeah. So Samara from The Ring, number one on our list of evil children. So uh, let us know. Do you not like our rules? Do you not like that the exorcist didn't make it or our age limit? Uh, we asked to see ID. Uh, let us know, Mad Wolf at Mad Wolf, M A D D W O L F on Twitter. Always a good way to do it. We're Mad Wolf Columbus on uh, Facebook, and uh, you can always get us through the Golden Spiral Media. That's right. Uh, you can leave us feedback. Well. You can leave us feedback. GoldenSpiralMedia dot com, and you can also check out some of the other podcasts they have there, including Triplecast, our friend and senior Aussie slasher correspondent Corey Metcalf's podcast, the award nominated. That's right, uh, Triplecast. Yeah, and we look forward to this coming Wednesday. It is July the thirteenth. If you're in the Columbus, Ohio area, please stop by. We're going to be back. At Gateway Film Center, right there on High Street, it's our next edition of Fright Club Live, and we are going to see... Sightseers, Ben Wheatley. It's, uh, you know, for those of you who like the horror, but maybe you don't like it a little too bloody, too scary, this is a horror comedy, a British horror comedy. They do them the best. It's very funny. Um, ben Wheatley directs, and we love this movie. It's going to be the first time it's ever screened in theaters in Columbus, so that's exciting. So that come out. That is exciting, yeah. So we'll start at, we usually start at 6.30, a little happy hour, a few pops, and uh, then we move in um, it's about 7.30 to the theater to tape our podcast where we're going to talk about... Dangerous Lovers. Ooh, Dangerous Lovers is our podcast. And then we're going to see one of those, and that is Sightseer. So again, that is this coming Wednesday, the 13th, Gateway Film Center. We hope to see Just you. Just $5. Just $5. It's For a For all of that entertainment. Darn right. So we hope to see you. And uh, until then, this has been the Evil Children edition of the Fright Club podcast. I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. Stay frightful, my friends. I get to say it. <laughs>